Brothers, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and let's pray. Father, we praise you that we do have freedom to serve you, to live for you, to worship you. And we do pray now that as we come to your word, you may transform, equip, change, and help us to see more your glory and how to live for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just over two weeks ago, I had the great privilege to attend a memorial service for Neil Prott. Um, His picture should come up on the screen. Neil was a minister of the gospel who died a few hours before Easter Day at the age of 84. And for decades, Neil had served as a minister at Currajong, where I grew up. He was instrumental in grounding my whole family Uh, as well as my wife uh, as well, in the faith in the Lord Jesus as our family came to follow the Lord Jesus together. As per Neil's instructions, the memorial service that we were at wasn't focused on Neil. It was permeated with giving glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. But Neil's impact as a minister of Christ Jesus could not be hidden. He was a man of the bush. He was a man of service. He was a man of courage, a man of God. And he'd had a deep impact on the lives of many, many people, including, just for example, Bishop Al Stewart, who came and preached, uh, and us here at Moore College, where Neil has served for decades uh, on our council and selection panel, uh, and many more. Now, Neil wasn't perfect. Nobody in the service hid the fact that over the years he'd faced tough situations. He'd made mistakes uh, that I'm sure he regretted. Yet what kept coming through in the service was that Neil had been a faithful servant. He'd been a good minister of Jesus Christ. Uh, June, June Pratt, Neil's wife and lifelong partner in ministry, wrote this. She said, There are no buildings with his name on it, no books written about him, no photos on walls, but there are lives changed because he put people first and before any praise for himself. How many people over the years did he point to Jesus? How many now have the name of Jesus written on their heart? How many working in different parts of the world now proclaim Jesus? God only knows. I know he's standing in the presence of his Lord and Saviour Jesus and has heard him say, Well done, you good and faithful servant. So rewind the life of ministry to us here at Moore College at this stage. What would it mean for us to be good and faithful servants, good ministers of Christ Jesus? Because that is the issue today in our passage from 1 Timothy, the the issue that it directly addresses. Chapter 4, verses 6 to 16, about the fundamentals of being a good and faithful servant, a good minister of Christ Jesus. Paul writes to Timothy, verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, being nourished in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So let's start at the start, verse 6, where Paul spells out the foundation of being a good minister of Christ Jesus. We'll move on to the next slide. So before anything else, a good minister needs to be grounded in God's word, the faith and the good doctrine. Faith, fundamentally about faith, trust in Christ, believing in him for salvation. And that's why in 1 Timothy, in the scriptures, grace is so fundamental. Grace grounds everything. We can't earn salvation. It's all by faith in him. And yet, faith can't be disconnected from life, from good doctrine, from from good teaching. Uh, That word good in 1 Timothy, it's not just a matter of being correct, it's about moral goodness in line with God's good creation. Good doctrine is about Jesus, it's about godliness in living for Jesus. And you may be aware that the General Synod of the Anglican Church of Australia has had significant debate last week the church tribunal decided uh, before the actual synod that the word doctrine in our constitution does not concern things concerning godliness. They ruled that constitutionally doctrine is just about core salvation beliefs, how to be saved and not how to live. But the Bible will have none of that. In fact, our constitution will have none of that really, I don't think. Doctrine includes how we live. Good teaching. We see that in the rest of 1 Timothy. Doctrine and teaching includes how we love and care and relate to one another. It includes how we handle money, how we handle alcohol, our sexual lives and more. As our response to salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And so as ministers of Christ, we need to be grounded in that word. That faith and that doctrine. Literally, Paul uses the word nourished. God's word is to be our daily bread. Not just a thing we know in our heads, but something we, not just, you know, something we can just tick off as having learned at one point, as passed the right subjects at college. No, God's word is our life and nourishment. It sustains us. Now, in the rest of the scriptures, there's many more details about exactly what this faith and doctrine are. We see it in the rest of 1 Timothy. But here in this passage, what Paul focuses on is how we need to be nourished and sustained by this faith and doctrine. And so this passage is focused on our personal lives and about how we teach others. So that's what we'll focus on for the rest of our time. Uh, Verses 7 to 10 address the issue of our personal lives. Did you notice how much Paul talks here about discipline? Uh, He says in verse 7, train yourself for godliness. And the word train comes from the gym. It's literally gymnazo, if you want to say it in in, uh, English transliteration. It means disciplined physical training and exercise. 
Uh, verse 10, Paul uses other words for discipline and work. He uses words related to tiring, sweaty, hard labour and, and, and words for athletic contests. So our personal lives matter and that's all about training and discipline. And maybe you're surprised by that because uh, maybe at first glance you might think that discipline and you know, personal regimes is something for false teachers. After all, in the previous passage... It was the false teachers who denied food and marriage and good things. And you might say, well, no, life is about joy, not discipline. God wants us to enjoy his creation. So surely discipline is not the basis for a truly God-filled life. Surely living for God is about love and passion and living in the moment and spontaneousness is next to godliness, isn't it? Otherwise, how could we ever be authentic? But, you know, all those are really just romantic ideals. They're not biblical teaching. (laughs) Serving Christ in God's creation. Of course it's about joy. But it's also about training. It's about discipline. So Paul says it's like going to the gym, but far more important because this isn't just about fitness for a healthy body in this life. It's about growing in fitness for serving Christ. Godliness, which is what matters into eternity. Now, I've got to do some very specific kind of physical training. Uh, When I was a kid, I had a a condition called Perthes disease, and it meant that the ball and socket joint in my hip went soft, and I had to have a major bone operation. And then when I was 21, I went bungee jumping, which really didn't help the whole thing. That's another story. Um, It now means that my muscles are all weird and unbalanced. But... The physios I've seen have been great. They, they've trained me and they've shown me how I need to do very specific exercises, uh, directed leg exercises almost every day to strengthen and stretch those muscles. And I can run and I should run, but I need to concentrate really hard when I'm doing it. And if I don't do those exercises re- regularly, the muscles complain when I'm trying to go to sleep. But if I do, it's great, which is a really great incentive for me to do that exercise. <laughs> You know the thing about physical training. It's pretty boring, isn't it? It involves repetition. It involves concentration. It needs discipline. Being a minister of the Lord Jesus is the same. But for a far more important reason, for the sake of godliness. So prayer. Prayer is, is so good, isn't it? It's so good as we come towards God. It's so wonderful. But it's not easy. Being spontaneous and joyful in prayer is so good. But life happens too, doesn't it? And a large part of the answer to prayer and a prayer life is just to realise that it's hard. And if we assume that our prayer lives are always just going to be really easy and spontaneous, always and forever, I think we'll just soon lose heart. If you keep remembering it needs discipline, then that's normal then you won't be surprised. That helps us not to be surprised. The Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. I mean, you know, do those prayers until you're actually praying. I mean, I hope you're taking the time here now at college to strengthen your prayer muscles day after day with repetition, concentration and hard work. It's not just prayer. Godliness in life in general is the same, isn't it? As we practice godliness, discipline, in our personal and online habits, developing those 
reflexes, those conditioned responses and the strength in the muscles, love in the place of selfishness, purity in the place of lust, thankfulness in the place of greed, gentleness in the place of anger. As we form the grooves in our lives that we return to again and again so that we become a person of prayer and godliness and it becomes more and more natural and spontaneous and joyful because that is who we are. It's why we need to keep the goal in mind, isn't it? Verse 10. For to this end we labour and struggle because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people especially of those who believe. So Paul, he he zeroes in on salvation for those who believe. Just a few chapters earlier, back in chapter 2, Paul was giving Timothy the big picture, the grand vision, the, the wide vision, the wide horizon, the scope of salvation and Christ's mediation, which is for all, which is beyond us and concerns all humanity. And he was doing that to encourage prayer for all people, to inspire Timothy with a gospel that needs to go out to all and to pray. And so in chapter 2, Paul describes Christ as the mediator and ransom for all people. And here, yes, Paul wants Timothy to keep that wide horizon in mind, to see the great goal. But he also wants him to focus on what's in front of him. And so, brothers, we need to keep our feet on the ground as well. The salvation of God through the Lord Jesus Christ is a grand future vision, but it's also a personal daily challenge. Salvation is for the whole world especially for those who believe, for you and me and those right here in front of us who believe or who we want to believe. It's about how you live and act and relate and pray today and tomorrow and the next day. It's about grace and faith, not what we do. And that grace and faith makes a big impact on our lives day by day as we strive for that goal. It's about our personal lives formed by that practice that training, that toil, that striving towards that goal that God has given to us. And that really matters because verse 11 to 14, our personal lives are intimately connected to how we teach others. Paul's uh, focus in verses 11 to 14 is about teaching others. There's three big insights and key insights about teaching others that he has here. Firstly, teaching others includes setting an example. Teaching isn't only a verbal thing. Of course, it's verbal. It's about God's word. But it's about more than that. It's not just about transmitting information. Think about a teacher who inspired you. Christian teacher, school teacher, whatever it is. What made them a great teacher? I'm sure it was something about them, wasn't it? Not just their skill, but who they were. Teaching's personal. And that's true for us as ministers of Christ. Verse 12, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Would you consider those areas and how you're going in them? Are you an example of godliness in speech? Deliberately using words to care and love and build up rather than boast or tear down. Are you an example of godliness of conduct daily life, at home, in study, when you're driving, when you're shopping, whatever it is? Are you an example of godliness in love? 
being other person-centred, using your power for the good of others, not of yourself? Are you an example of godliness in faith? Probably faithfulness here, a person whose life matches their words, who keeps promises. Are you an example of godliness in purity? Purity in your sexual life, in what you do online, in how you handle money and alcohol and all those other things as well. That personal example needs to lie behind and undergird all your upfront and public activities. Paul talks about upfront public activities uh, in verse 13. Public teaching involves applying and grounding the Bible in people's lives. That's what Paul's on about in his list of upfront activities in verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. They're not three completely separate activities. They're all interrelated. The public reading of Scripture. Uh, thanks so much, Ned, for uh, reintroducing us to those green prayer books that we have. Uh, and I, I hope you see, even just flick through them, see how much scripture is saturated in those, those prayer books. Uh, they're there to have our, everything we do and our services saturated by scripture, read, read together. And that shows the Bible is foundational. Exhortation, that's more about the more immediate goals for people in the here and now, urging people to, to, to move towards knowing or um, acting or loving what's right, to apply the scriptures straight away in the here and now to urge them. Teaching has more of a longer-term horizon for applying the Bible, helping people to learn and know the truth over the long term, to ground scriptures as the bedrock of their lives. And these activities, they all work together. And they all matter. And thirdly, teaching needs us to focus, to deliberately focus on what matters. Verse 14, Paul tells Timothy not to neglect his gift. What was his gift? It could have been special ability that he had or in his particular position or situation in Ephesus, probably a combination of those two. Whatever it was, it was grounded in God's word through prophecy and it was formally grounded in God's community through the laying on of hands and it was really important. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is this, focus on this ministry, on what you are doing. Keep doing it. Keep remembering what your core job is and don't neglect it for something else. How could Timothy have neglected his gift? How could we do it? How could we neglect our ministry, our, our core job? I suspect the main way we can neglect our gift is by being distracted by things that don't matter. I mean, I'm sure that Timothy had a thousand things that might have distracted him, caused him to neglect his ministry. Paul names them, the, the irreverent silly myths that took up the time and energy of the false teachers. And if he had a thousand irreverent silly myths, we probably have a thousand more, don't we? We live in a world full of distractions, reasons to neglect what matters. Uh, journalist Johan Hari, in his enormously popular book, Stolen Focus, why you can't pay attention. And I did read it all the way through. It was, you know, <laughs> he describes the many ways our modern world is wired to distract us. So much information, so fast. We're constantly trained by social media to switch and flick and flicker, to concentrate on little bites rather than sustained arguments, day and night, to react rather than reflect, to spend all our time on irreverent, silly 
arguments and outrages and memes and whatever it is. So this little old phone of mine gives me thousands of reasons to neglect my gift of ministry. And those reasons are constantly available at my fingertips 24-7. And that's why it really matters for me to try to strictly minimise notifications and to be disciplined, very disciplined in checking all my inboxes and to cultivate JOMO rather than FOMO. You know what JOMO is? You know, the, the joy of missing out. <laughs> to be okay with missing messages that other people have decided are urgent. To be okay with missing opportunities. To be okay when people are wrong on the internet. Which is a little bit annoying. <laughs> but nowhere near as bad as what would happen if I was in constant touch with everyone all the time. Because then I'd be forever focused on little things rather than on what matters. On those people who are right there in front of me and the ministry of the gospel, and God's word. That's what matters. And what matters is our personal lives, and our disciplines, and our godliness, and how we teach others. So verses 15 to 16, Paul brings it all together. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that you may almost see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. See, who you are matters. You see, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus isn't just information to communicate. The gospel must shape your very being. When Paul says immerse, literally, the words literally just exist. He says to Timothy, exist in them. Have your whole being, who you are, shaped by these things, by the truth of God's word, by trusting in Jesus for salvation, by godliness in life. Because it matters. It matters for you. And it matters for others. It overflows to others. And what's wonderful, comfort, uh, wonderfully comforting about all of this is that we don't have to be examples of pure perfection. Did you see that? Paul doesn't say, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your perfection. He doesn't say, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your unattainable excellence. No, he says, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. They see you working and training, and growing. And that's an example that people can follow. And that really matters. Because that life and doctrine is how we bring God's salvation to people. And yes, there's very much room in ministry for thinking about strategy and systems and pipelines and all those kinds of things. As long as we keep remembering that they're not the main game, those things. Pipelines don't bring salvation. Systems don't bring salvation. Structures don't bring salvation. Strategies don't bring salvation. In fact, those things, systems and strategies and structures, can distract us from the main game and they can become the irreverent silly myths that we get distracted by if we make them too big. Now, how are people saved? What does the passage say? By you and me. By paying close attention to our own lives and to what we teach. And yes, I could be pious and theologically correct at this point and remind us all that what ultimately brings salvation is not us, but God, who is the saviour of all people, especially those who believe. That's what Paul has already stressed in verse 10. But let's not be too theologically nitpicky and miss what Paul actually says here in verse 16. Our saviour uses us to save people. He uses our lives. He uses our teaching. So do you long to be a good minister? being nourished 
in the foundation of God's word, the faith, the doctrine, the grace, the salvation, the life that involves your, your personal life, which means discipline for godliness, which involves how you teach others through example and your words and your focus. There's a lot more detail we could go into on this. In fact, I, I've just read over our graduate attributes from our student handbook. And you know, I think they're pretty good because they're pretty closely aligned with what Paul says here to Timothy, strangely enough. So have a read of them. But I'm glad we're seeking to do this together at college. But ultimately, yes, it is God, isn't it? His grace, his mercy, his love in the Lord Jesus. Our God who mercifully saves us and who mercifully allows us to be his instruments to save others. Shall we pray? Father, we do pray that your spirit might be at work in us and that you would graciously work in us so that through our lives and our teaching, we might save people. Not because we save, but because you save. Father, we do pray that you would make us more and more good ministers of the Lord Jesus. Amen.